Okay, today we're going to look at uh, a radiant church, okay? And I think with um, the whole uh, call of God upon our lives to go to the north, it's really important to reassess the type of church we want to be and the type of church we want to develop as we plant elsewhere. So it's really important to consider that. So there are many parts of the New Testament we can go to, but I'm just going to go to one particular passage today. If you want to turn with me, you can, or it's on the screen. Help him, Lord Jesus. Okay, here we go. Now, as I often do when I preach, I'd love you to read the scriptures with me, okay? There is great power in the Word of God. That's why we read it, not because of some formula, but we read it because it's awesome, it's powerful, it's God-breathed, it comes from the heart of God himself, and so it's so important. Do you want to read it with me? In fact, you read it, and I'll give my voice a rest. Go. On the release. did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders. <clears throat> Holy servant Jesus, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Can you imagine an insurance claim where you ask direct line, can you help us please? The building where we normally meet has been shaken and we're not so sure about the foundations anymore. Could you imagine what the response would be from the insurer? I'm not sure we cover that one, that's a bit of unusual. In case you're thinking that sounds strange, um, in the 20th century, in the Hebridean Islands, there was a group of believers gathered together to pray. And it's recorded that after they prayed, the building, the house where they met, shook. The power of God is manifest among his people. That's what I want to say right from the kickoff. So, what does this New Testament church look like? The first thing I want to show you is this. Next slide, please. We all have great expectations. Some people, before they select which church shall I go to, they want to know, how many programs have you got Monday to Sunday? How many ministries for all ages? Nothing wrong with all that. Some people want dynamic worship, <clears throat> gifted musicians and singers. Some want state-of-the-art facilities. You know, one of the hospitality team comes down during the preach and delivers you popcorn and a Diet Coke. And some people have got some strange expectations of what church should be like. Comfy seats, yeah? Some want dynamic leaders, some want gifted preachers, some want a warm and a welcoming people, some want super catering, 
a, a, a fried English breakfast when you show up, with a cup of coffee, decaf if you prefer. You know, everybody's got their expectations of what makes a great church. Well, I've got good news for you. Redeemer is a great church because I'm biased and I love it. But it's not a perfect church, but it's a great church. There's lots of good things that God is doing among us, but we are a work in progress. There's still a long way to go because we want to get to the place where every single person who's part of this fellowship of believers is so filled with Jesus Christ that they radiates out of them. And so when they come together, the radiation effect is massive because everyone's so filled with passionate love and zeal for him. That's what we desire. So let's go for it. What does this church look like? Well, you're probably thinking, oh no, look at his first point. This sounds depressing. Here it goes. They were a people who pressed on, next slide, they pressed on despite persecution. In verse 17 of Acts 4, it says this. Peter and John have been arrested because they're speaking in the mighty name of Jesus and the authorities don't like it. So they haul them in and they say, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Verse 18 says, then they called them in again and commanded them, not suggested, commanded them. You need to shut up. That's my version. You need to shut up and stop talking about this Jesus. 21. After further threats, they let them go. I love this. Look at verse 19. Judge for yourselves, they said, whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. What are these guys saying? These guys are saying, you can say what you like. You can do to us what you like. We will never, ever, 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 ever shut up about how great the Lord Jesus Christ is. They were determined to proclaim the gospel. Now, I'm not here to bring you doom and gloom, but I am here to warn you, our society is shifting. It's no longer acceptable in some departments to say what you believe. It's not truly liberal, where you can say your opinion and you can say yours. What I think happens is this. You can say what you like as long as you agree with me. That's what's happening. You Christians can say what you like as long as you agree with our agenda and what we believe. So it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us. I'm not saying we're going to be imprisoned yet. But I am saying it's going to cost to stand up and say, with all your philosophies, with all your progressivism, with all your belief systems, with all your other messages, Jesus Christ is still the only way to the Father. No other way. No Buddha, no Muhammad, no other gods, no other prophets. Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. And that's, that's going to that's gonna cost. That's going to cost. Because some people will shun you. Some people will say, I don't want to hang out with him anymore. He's too radical. He's, 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 he's this and he's that. So what I love about these guys, I want to say to you is this. We need to be prepared. And we need to put our feet in concrete and say, I'll rephrase that, put our feet on the rock actually, in concrete, and Jesus Christ and say, we will never, ever budge. 
away from the centrality of the Lord Jesus Christ being the only Savior and the only Lord. All right, let's move on. That's so important. Secondly, they were devoted to corporate prayer. It says in verse 24, when they heard about what was going on, listen to this, it's beautiful, the default position of the early church was to go straight to God in prayer, not to get a committee together to discuss it. The first thing they did was, come on, let's get together. This is what's been going on with Brother Peter and Brother John. Let's get together. Let's cry out to God. And that should be the default position of every believer in every circumstance. So whenever life gets tough, whenever opposition comes, whenever you face difficulties, struggles, could be health issues, whatever, the first port of call is to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not knocking medicine. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But I'm saying the first place to go is to the Lord. With these people, go to the Lord and cry out to the Lord. In our recent prayer gatherings, we felt a sense of together on a mission. We've received some prophetic words where God has spoken to us, some quite significantly about direction for the church moving forward. And a sense of loving one another. When we gather together to pray, people gather around one another, they pray for one another, they support one another. It's fantastic. So, within the life of Redeemer, amongst many others, the pre-service prayer on a Sunday at half nine is for everybody. Can I run round the room? I think I should. Shall I run round the room and shout this from the rooftops? The 9.30 prayer meeting is not for the elders only. Okay, have I got that message over now? It's for everybody to come and pray with us. All right, you know that, you know that. Okay, you got it. Okay, life groups is a place where we pray together. Monthly prayer nights. There's one coming up next Sunday. Next Sunday night, we're gathering to pray. One-to-one discipleship settings. We meet up one-to-one. We encourage each other. We can pray together. And the prayers of many when we do praying together in a wider sense of a family of churches together. Let me ask you, brothers and sisters, is prayer night or prayer afternoon or gathering together to pray with brothers and sisters, is that an optional extra? Or is it the lifeblood of the church? I know which one I believe. It's the lifeblood of the church. If this family does not pray together, don't expect much to happen. Sorry if that's a bit abrupt, but it's true, isn't it? When we pray together, God moves. That's what happens. We don't just pray so that God will move. We pray because we love him and we want to be with him. We want to experience his presence because he's beautiful and we love him to bits. But what a joy to travel together. So as we embark on these next few months, we seek God together. Where are we going, Lord? What are we doing? Let's go together. Let's pray. Let's listen to the Lord. And let's pursue him in prayer corporately. I don't know about you. Some of us are very good at praying individually. I'm going to confess, that's not my biggest strength. But when I get with brothers and sisters and we get praying, oh my goodness, it gets me going. There's something about coming together and encouraging one another. Yeah, to press in in prayer. Next, they were aware. Number three, they were aware of God's greatness. So many parts of the so-called church need to be more aware of God's greatness and not the opinions of man or woman. God's greatness. Sovereign Lord. That means the one who is above all, the one who is supremely, ultimately in charge. Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. 
Matt Redman brought out an album years ago called The Friendship and the Fear. And I, I think I've got what he's trying to say. It's this. On the one hand, for us as believers, he is the sovereign, mighty, awesome, majestic, glorious God that we bow before. And yet, there's the friendship. We come into his presence. Someone was praying this morning. We boldly come into his presence. We run in and we say, Papa, Father, Daddy, whatever language you speak, appropriately. How beautiful is that? That the God of the entire universe, who is awesome and glorious in power and might, says, come close. We go up. He embraces us. He holds us close. We can feel the beat of his heart. How beautiful. And the church, this church, we need to embrace both these aspects of his character. There are times we'll be flat on our face. And so we should be, because we're in the presence of the king that's above every other king. He's the Lord above every other Lord. And yet he invites us and says, come here, come close to me. I love you so dearly. The blood of Jesus has opened up a way where you and I can run into the presence of God himself. <laughs> How great is that? Before we used to go, I'll try harder. Maybe I'll get there. Grace says, you don't have to try harder. He's the only one whose performance matters. He gave up his life for us. He gave everything for us. Because he's purchased us with his blood, praise God, we can run in, run into the Father. And he says, son, daughter, it's great to be with you. This is the glory, glorious message of the gospel. There's nothing quite like it. I'm glad you all agree. <laughs> Next, it says they applied the word of God. The word of God is important, it's vital. We've said before, we'll say again, the word of God in this church needs to be always the final authority in all things. If you don't agree with what the Bible clearly teaches, how can I put this nicely? You're wrong. Okay? Okay, that's it. I'm wrong. If the Bible says love one another and you don't fancy it, you're wrong, the Bible's right. Okay? Sorry, guys, that's a, bit, that's a bit blunt, but okay, how else do you want me to put it? Uh, you might need to have a little bit of correction in that area in your life. I could put it like that, or I could just say, I'm wrong, God's right. Now, some things are not clear. I'm talking about when it's clear. Okay? When it's absolutely clear, let's make sure that the Bible's a final authority. They says, why did the nations rage? And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. They realize, it says in the passage, they realize that they're a turning against the Lord's anointed one. That's Christ himself. Through Pontius Pilate and others, they turned against him. They understood what the word of God was teaching. But to be able to apply the word of God, you need to know it first. Now, there's two ways we can go here. My upbringing is such that the Word of God was a part of me from the earliest I remember. And I thank God for that. I used to get sweeties at church for answering questions about the Bible. So I thought, hey, this is quite good. We should get to know the Bible. You get loads of sweeties when you go every week. I thought, this is fantastic. There's little mojos, little chewy sweeties. I thought, come on, who knows the most about the Bible? But I've said to you before, brothers and sisters, and it's so true, it's not about how much of the Bible you know. It's about what you do with what you know. So if God tells you one thing and that's all you know, obey God, you're blessed. 
if you know a hundred things you should be doing and you ain't doing any of them, obey what God says. It's, we, are, we are held accountable, yeah, to God when he speaks to us what we do with what he tells us. So it's not just, do I know what Ezekiel 24, 7 says? I don't know what it says, but you know, I've just picked it a random, random verse. Do we know what the Bible says about this and this? We may know all the stuff, but yet I'm looking for the passionate love and longing for Jesus Christ. I say this humbly. I grew up in the church. I saw lots of guys in particular. I saw lots of men who could stand up and pray for 20 minutes and tell the Lord lots about the Bible that God obviously knew beforehand because he wrote it. Right? It was like a sermon in the prayer. And some of the guys that never got to preach used the prayer opportunity quite nicely. They would stand up and pray for quite a wee while and do the sermon in the prayer because they don't normally preach. But listen to me. Here's my point. You can stand up and you can quote scripture to me for 20 minutes in a prayer. I'm not looking for how much knowledge of the scripture you've got as one of your pastors. I'm looking for how much of it you're enjoying. When you read the word of God, I'm looking for a heart that's captivated with Jesus Christ. The face. I love him. I love his word. I encounter him. That's what I'm looking for. Not whether you can quote 57 verses although that can be helpful. Okay, a year in my heart. Knowing the word of God is important, but living out the word of God and experiencing God himself is what the purpose of the word of God is. We encounter the God of the word. Yes, the God of the word. And so Paul, Paul says to Timothy, um, a, a good workman or a good workwoman is someone who handles the word of truth well. You've got to handle it well. You don't just pick a verse in the Bible, pull it out, and then bring a whole theology or a whole doctrine on it out of context. You need to know, we need to know the Word of God and how to apply it. Here's something that may be helpful to some that I remember hearing years ago. Four Ds. Sometimes reading Scripture can feel a bit like a duty. I'm going to be honest. Don't lie to me now. Come on, I'll put my hand up. Sometimes it can feel like a duty. I really should get in the world. But then the duty can sometimes <clears throat> lead to uh, discipline, where you begin to do it more regularly. And then hopefully it leads to desire, where you think, I've got this discipline in my life, but I really want to grow to know him more. And finally, delight. What is the purpose of reading scripture? it should lead us to a place of absolute delight to meet with God. Let's move on. <clears throat> the next one, the desired boldness to speak the word. They said, Lord, consider their threats. By the way, they were real threats, okay? They weren't just like social media, Facebook comments, which can be threats. They were real threats in your, in your face. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Brothers and sisters, I say this lovingly. Great boldness is not to be interpreted as the people in the church who seem enthusiastic. Great boldness is available to every single brother or sister, whether you think you're introverted, extroverted, or somewhere in between. Hear me, come on, hear me. Every brother and sister in this fellowship, every one of you can experience this great boldness to speak the word of God. It's available for all. Jesus was quoted there in Acts 1, you will receive power. Power. 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The main purpose of the Holy Spirit coming upon them was to be witnesses. Witnesses. What are they witnessing about? The death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he is the Lord. He is the one we should follow. The answer to the heart cry for more boldness is to be freshly filled with the Holy Spirit. Not going into all the doctrine today. For many of us in our experience, we've had an encounter initially where Jesus introduced us to the Holy Spirit and his power. But we cannot stand here and say, well, 25 years ago, I was baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. God's wanting to know whether you're filled today and filled tomorrow and filled every day, flooded with his Holy Spirit's power in your life, in my life. <clears throat> I want to read something to you. Forgive me for indulging one of my heroes of the faith, okay? One of my favorites. I'm not endorsing everything he said, but I don't endorse anything anybody says 100% apart from Jesus, okay? Smith Wigglesworth. Love it. I was going to sing it, but I don't think my voice will hold up. Roy can help me. He knows, he knows those old ones like me. So does Dorothy, don't you guys? <clears throat> Here goes. When traveling by ship from England to Australia, these people came round me and said, we want to know if you will join us in an entertainment. This is on the ship, the cabaret. Then they said to me, well, we have a very large program and we'd like to put you down to sing a song. Wigglesworth is uh, rubbing his hands. He's looking forward to this immensely. Oh, I said, my song will be given just before I sing. So you cannot put it down until I am ready to sing. So <clears throat> he stands up in front of all these people at the cabaret on the big cruise liner, and he sings, If I could only tell it as I know it, my Redeemer who has done so much for me, if I could only tell how much he loves you, I am sure that you would make him yours today. Could I tell it? Could I tell it? I never could tell it. The people were weeping all over. We had some fine young men give themselves to Jesus Christ. That is an example of Holy Spirit boldness. And in case you think that's a long time ago, Al, well, bless them. My mum and dad, who both have Alzheimer's, they go to <clears throat> the David Cargill Centre every Friday. They get picked up in a little minibus and it takes them to this old people's gathering they go to. This is quite funny, but I love it. I love the example of my parents. Imperfect, but what an example. They go to the old people's gathering and the guy goes, who fancies giving us a song then? And all these old ladies and old guys stand up, stand up there with a microphone and sing, I belong to Glasgow. And they sing all these songs about Glasgow and Scottish life and all that, you know, down by the River Clyde. And off they go. And they say, anybody else? Alan. They turn to my dad. Alan, would you like to sing a little song? My dad's going, nice one. Bring it on. He sings a song about the Lord and how much the Lord's blessed them and saved them. My mum stands up, grabs the mic, sings another song about how much the Lord loves them. Do you know what? They don't care. They don't care 
What do people think they're idiots? They don't care if people mock them because they love Jesus. They don't care one bit. And praise God, neither should they care one bit because they love the Lord Jesus and they're going to tell people, even at the old people's gathering, how much he's blessed them and how much he's saved them. I had a, I had a situation myself in this school where one of the teachers, um, one or two students here today, but anyway, one of the teachers got in touch and said, we're having a worship karaoke at lunchtime. Do you want to come and sing a song? I thought, oh yes, please. Yes. <laughs> Not because I'm a great singer, but what an opportunity. So I came, I was standing in here. There was the Roman Catholic priest, Father Pascal. He sang a number. And then I sang um, that hill song one, God is able. God is able. He will never fail. And all these kids are sitting there and I'm singing this song unashamed. You don't have to be ashamed or embarrassed about anyone. I've said before, brothers and sisters, the world has got no message for me that I need. Sorry if that's a bit blunt. The world's got no message for me that I need that will transform my life. They've got nothing to offer me. But I say this humbly, we have what they need. Some of them just don't understand it or get it yet. We have what they need. So let's be confident in the gospel. Let's not shrink back. Let's not take a step back and go, what will they think? Guess what? It doesn't matter whether they like me or not. It's not about me. It's about the one who gave his life. It's all about him. And finally, this church in the Acts of the Apostles expected signs, wonders, and miracles. It was not a weird sort of thing. It was normal New Testament Christianity. They said together, stretch out your hand, Father, to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Paul says this to the Corinthians, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Let's be honest, we've had a lot of those over the centuries. But with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men or women's wisdom, but on God's power. It's God's power that saves. It's not intellectually trying to work it all out. There's nothing wrong with intellectual pursuit. Good. But you know what? Christianity is a revelation. It's when the Spirit of God wakens you up and you think, yes, I am a sinful man. Jesus Christ paid the price to forgive me of my sins and to bring me into right relationship with the God who created me. It's a revelation. You can be as educated as educated can be and be as lost forever as lost forever can be. I'm not standing here telling you, let's go for not getting educated. But what I'm saying is, Wigglesworth could not read originally. His wife had to teach him to read. He was not the most educated man, but my goodness, he read the Word of God. He saturated himself in the Word of God. Do you know what? I'm not saying you should do this, but Wigglesworth had a fun bet with friends. He said, see if you can ever catch me reading anything else other than my Bible. That's the only book. I'm not saying you should do that, but the only book he read was the Scriptures. No newspapers, no nothing. 
Only the word of God. Now, I'm not saying we need to go down that line. I'm not putting that on anybody. But he eventually could read and he gorged himself on the word of God and took the promises of God and applied them and saw incredible things happen. So don't go away thinking that man's anti-education. This is my school. This is where I work. I'm not anti-education. I'm totally for education. All I'm saying is this. It ain't enough. It ain't enough. You need to have a revelation of who he is and what he's done. It will change your life forever. Whether you've got a PhD or whether you can barely read. Praise God for his grace that he can reach anybody and everybody. We don't have to attain to something before he manages to reach us. Do you know what? Sometimes people say to me, Al, are you going about Corinthians and these miracles that were happening? Let me tell you something. If you go to Galatians chapter 3 verse 5, Paul says to the Galatian church, does God work miracles among you? Miracles were happening in the Galatian church as well. The Corinthian church, the Galatian church, it's stated there in Galatians 3, 5. That's quite important. It's not just in one book in the Bible, a couple of books in the Bible. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. One more story. Love it. Stills my heart. I went from Wigglesworth. If you want to know, this is from his little daily devotional, day 75, okay? I went to visit a sick woman whose address was given to me in Belfast. At her house, a young man met me at the door and pointed me to go up the stairway. When I got up onto the landing, there was a door wide open. So I walked right into the doorway and found a woman sitting up on the bed. As soon as I looked at her, I knew she couldn't speak to me, so I began to pray. She was moving back and forward, gasping for breath. When I prayed, the Lord said to me, read Isaiah 53. When I got on the fifth verse, the woman shouted, I'm healed. Oh, I said, woman, tell me. She said, three weeks ago, listen carefully, brothers and sisters, three weeks ago, I was cleaning the house. I moved some furniture, strained my heart and moved it out of its place. The doctors examined me and said I would die of suffocation. But last night, in the middle of the night, this is in her you call it a vision, a dream. Last night, in the middle of the night, I saw you, Wigglesworth, I saw you come into my room. When you saw me, you knew I couldn't speak. So you began to pray. Then you opened the Bible to Isaiah 53 and you read it until you came to the fifth verse. And when you read the fifth, fifth verse, I was completely healed. That was the vision. Now it's a fact. I know the word of God is true. Have you got it? This woman saw what God was going to do in detail before the man of God turns up at her house. And when he gets to verse five, by his stripes you're healed. The actual healing is manifest. Now, you can go away today and think that's a fluke. <laughs> that's a coincidence. <laughs> that's the power of God. That's the power of God. When you go into a situation and the Holy Spirit reveals something to you and you go and talk to someone and you discover this is the very person God's been speaking to me about. God cares so much about the individual. He'll do anything and everything to get to them. Praise God for his mercy and his grace because sometimes we don't want to come close but he will come after us. Let me tell you, I says to my friends who are not believers, yet God's after you. God's after you. 
in the nicest, kindest, best way possible. He's after you. Why? Because he wants to save you. He wants to transform your life. He wants to radically make you the person he's always longed for you to be. That's why he's after you. I think I'm done, except I'm not really. I'm done in terms of my points, but there's a few little promptings I have, I think, that we need to go with, all right? So what I'd like us to do is, I'd like us in a moment to stand, and I'm going to ask us if anybody is desirous to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to encounter more of the boldness that we're talking about, I'm going to ask you to, we're going to pray together. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to upset anybody, but I'm going to, we're going to pray together. That means we're going to stand and we're all going to pray out together. So nobody needs to feel embarrassed because we're not really listening to other people. We're meant to be engaging with God ourselves. Okay, so we're all going to pray in a moment and we're going to ask the Lord to fill us with his Holy Spirit with fresh boldness. But can I ask one more thing? Those of you who know me well enough, you know what my heart is. There's too many people related to people in this room. There's too many people who are lost. And God's heart of compassion is that they would be saved. So we're going to take time today. I'm going to make time. We're going to cry out to God together by name. The people in our families our friends, our colleagues, the people that despise us as well as love us. We're going to call out to the Lord today and ask him to come in power and intervene and give us opportunities to share the love of Christ with them. Or if he doesn't use us, he'll use someone else. But this is not games. This is not all trying to end the meeting on a fun note. No, this is deadly serious. I've got family members of mine <coughs> who are lost. They've got no hope without Christ. They are lost. I'm going to say it. They're hellbound. Why should I not care? Why should I just go, I ah, fine, how are you doing? All right, I ah, fine. It's not fine. They're lost. And God wants to save them. So we need more power. We want to go into work tomorrow and have more power to save us hope. His name's Jesus. It's a person, hope's a person. Andy said that recently, hope's a person. Jesus himself. So will you stand with me? I'm going to invite the worship band to come back. We're going to pray together and that's going to lead us into worship. So, everybody clear. We're praying for more boldness, more being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you really want someone to come and pray with you, please put your hand up and let people know and we'll try and support one another too. But we're also praying for people in our sphere of influence, people that we love and care for, who are lost, who need Christ, please name them before the throne of grace today. Call out to the Lord for them and let's do it together. And then when we come to worship, maybe we could shout a big amen together to say we are all in agreement. Okay, brothers and sisters, please, there's too much at stake. Don't be too shy.